0: Tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And we were finally and officially into the short but very much needed tennis offseason following a great 2019. And uh, now we will look at all the best storylines from the year uh, with our special guest this week, Nick McCarville.
1: Nick was our guest during our uh, daily episodes at the Rogers Cup back in August, for those who uh, listen regularly, and so he joins us today. And officially, Nick, I think that makes you now a recurring guest on the podcast. Uh, you're, you're one of the busiest people in the sport, and we're really thankful that you're joining us today. Uh, how you been doing?
2: Yeah, good. Thanks, guys. I must have done something right if you had me back. Um, <laughs> I appreciate, appreciate being back on the podcast and have admired what you guys have done this year with the product. Congratulations. And yeah, it, it feels a little bit like off season, I think, for those of us that cover the sport, too. So a little downtime uh, before Australia and 2020.
1: This is going to be our last uh, official podcast of 2019, and I'm not going to lie, I am looking forward to having the break. I don't know how the players do it, because I'm I'm already getting tired of seeing them back in the gym uh, preparing for the 2020 season. Uh, I know you don't want uh, too many questions about you personally, Nick, but i got to ask, what's your uh, off-season training regime like?
2: <laughs> I, I get a little bit of normalcy. Uh, I actually do get to go to the gym like the players. Uh, I certainly don't have any of the um, athletic prowess that they do. But, no, just... I live in New York. It's nice to be here with friends and hang out and just kind of have quote-unquote normalcy uh, before yeah, heading back out on tour. And it's just nice. to I'll see family at Christmas and all those things that I think you, sometimes we lose the appreciation for in our day-to-day lives. I, I get to have that back in the off season. So that's something I, I very much appreciate.
1: <laughs> well, that's that's good to hear. I'm glad to hear that because I kind of pictured you feverishly working ahead on all your plans for 2020 <laughs> to uh, continue no. <laughs> your, uh, your your very appreciated presence in the tennis world. Um, but let's get back to uh, to the season that's just wrapped up not too long ago, and we're going to start on the WTA side of things. Uh, a third straight season of having four different Slam winners on the WTA Tour. And for one, I absolutely love that variety that, uh, you know, continuing to see new faces hoist uh, Grand Slam trophies. And this year we had Osaka, Barty, Halep, and of course, our own Bianca Andreescu. Which one of those Slam victories, uh, Nick, ranks as the most surprising to you? And which was perhaps the the one player that you expected to uh, hoist a major?
2: Oh gosh, I feel like they're all they were all surprising in different ways. I mean, the way that Osaka was able to come through Australia, she won a lot of tough matches. Um, no one would have picked Ash Barty to win her first major on clay. Um, few people would have picked Simona Halep to win her second major on grass. And then, you know, I, I think Bianca Andreescu for me that's that is the most surprising, and not because you know, you watch her go through the U.S. Open, especially as Canadian tennis fans know, and she was just, you know, doing what she had done all season when she was fit and healthy, and she she was the best women's tennis player when, you know, she was bringing her best, but the way that she didn't have a lot of that slam experience before, you know, there were so many comparisons to 2018 and her injuries and losing and qualifying and all of that, so that to me was the most surprising, and I was just, I had the, sort of honor to help commentate for us open radio on the women's final and the way that she was able to fend off Serena's comeback in the second set, you know, I still can visually see her plugging her ears as the crowd mm-hmm. was so loud in support of Serena, but she handled all of that really well. And yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's weird to say that's not a surprise. So for me, that I would say that that's probably the biggest of surprises.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. interesting because after the Rogers Cup, suddenly she was back on everyone's radar after that lengthy injury, sort of missing the, the middle part of the season. She came into the U.S. Open, as I think for many, someone who was in their top five to ten sort of Contenders, and yet it it was so surprising, just because she came from nowhere uh, into 2019 to have this kind of success. And and as you mentioned, how she thwarted that uh, momentum shift mid match that Serena seemed to be, uh, you know, getting back into things and and having that crowd behind her. That to me also was just such an incredible, um, you know, moment of poise for a, a young player like Andreescu. Uh, in terms of, I wouldn't say expected, but for me and Ben, then chime in in a moment here so we can get your take too. But uh, Simona Halep, I'd say after her 2018 finally getting that first slam at Roland Garros, I thought, okay, now we're going to open, not the floodgates, but we're going to see potentially some, some more mages from this, this talented player. Uh, truthfully, as you said, didn't expect to see it on the grass, but Simona would be the one that I thought, yeah, she'd consolidate and, and get a second one.
0: Yeah, I uh, I would agree with you that maybe it's not surprising for Simona Halep to add to the Grand Slam count. But uh, Nick, as you said, Wimbledon, uh, we weren't expecting that, hmm. and you know, Ash Barty winning the French Open never would have expected that. For me, maybe the most expected, and she wouldn't have been my pick going into the Australia. Australian Open was Naomi Osaka because we saw what she could do on hard courts in 2018 and carry that over. Uh, And, of course, most surprising, has to rank as Bianca Andreescu. I I think that what's maybe lost in her 2019 season leading up to the U S open. She played so great and yet she missed these big blocks of time too. She completely missed the Mm. grass court season and she basically completely missed the clay court season apart from one match at the French open. Uh, So for her to, to play so well on the biggest stage at a major uh, I mean, Nick, you had a chance to to see her compete as we did at at Rogers cup. Did, did you kind of see that she had that, attitude and toughness about her that she could kind of handle the bright lights of New York before getting there?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's what I enjoy the most about Andrescu, And I got to see it up close to you guys at Indian Wells, too, and the way that she came through that draw. Um, I really, uh, you know, you talk about the X factor, especially in women's tennis, and this is, I've said this a few times, it's no knock to the other women on tour, but she is this kind of fighter that we really haven't seen in women's tennis. I think... Since maybe since Serena came up. She just has this ability to dig in and find that extra gear and you know, be down 2-4 two, two, in the third or 3-5 in the third and just figure out her way out of these difficult situations. I, I've, I love watching her play. I love the variety. I love the guile. I love the fight. Um, and I don't think there was a better stage for that than the U.S. Open final. And the way that she, even when Serena got it to 5-5 five, five in the second set, I still felt like it was Andreescu's match to win, and she did that. And uh, I think the biggest challenge for her moving forward is for her to stay healthy. You know, they've that shoulder, the back, uh, her body obviously has taken a beating, and so if they can keep her healthy – moving forward then uh, you know i think we should expect her to be in the top 5 for years and years to come
1: yeah that's absolutely going to be her busy, biggest obstacle and for those of us who've followed her here in canada for for years already since she was a junior injuries has always been sort of a a constant uh, threat for for bianca's uh, development. She's had foot foot fractures. The back has been an issue for quite some time already. And this is a player that just turned 19 this past summer. So uh, also looking at the way she ended the year with more injuries, unfortunately. So getting healthy, staying healthy, having the right physio trainers and and proper plan, not not overextending her body on the court. That I agree is going to be the biggest challenge for uh, for Bianca in 2020. Now. If we look at the WTA uh, Awards uh, nominees, which just came out in the past week or so, uh, they will be announced on December 11th. The WTA Player of the Year is the four players we previously mentioned who each won a slam, of course, mm. along with one of the players perhaps that uh, may be a little surprised she hasn't won one yet, in Karolina Pliskova. Do you see one player amongst those five women, Nick, as uh, you know, standing out in terms of who might walk away with this uh, end-of-season honour?
2: I well, I voted. I actually don't remember who I voted for. I
1: think because <laughs> there's so many awards, or just because it's been such a long season.
2: Oh no! I just I submitted my awards, and when I do that kind of stuff, I just I I, I do it, and then I kind of forget about it. I think I voted for Andrescu. Um, I I might have voted for Halep. Maybe I voted for Barty. Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, to me, I don't think Pushkova deserves it. I mean, I know that she's been so consistent, but. She just hasn't figured out how to win a slam yet, and I think that's why she's she's changed her coaching team again. She's going to work with Danny Valverde in 2020. Um, I'm pretty sure I picked on Drescu there, but yeah, I mean they're they're all those four slam winners to me are all pretty deserving of that title.
1: It is, it is a tough one. For, to me, it's between Andrescu and not just because we're Canadian here, but, you know, a 48-7 and seven record, even with all the time she missed on tour. Imagine if she'd been healthy yep. through that stretch, especially for someone who claims that clay is her favorite surface. Uh, she managed three titles, and uh, just the players that she had to defeat throughout the season as well to climb the rankings was so impressive. Uh, Barty as well to me, and finished the year number one, Fifty-seven and thirteen record, four titles, uh, and took the WTA WTA Tour Finals at the end of the year as well. So, to me, it's down to those two, and and maybe a bit of a coin toss. Does Andriscu get penalized in a sense because she was gone for that middle chunk of the season? I I don't know. We'll have to see.
0: Yeah, in terms of complete seasons, uh, Ashley Barty actually might be my pick and you know Canadian listeners might really uh, harp on me <laughs> when this podcast comes out. How did you not pick Bianca Andreescu? Uh, but uh, I think the way Barty closed her season not only winning that French Open was was fantastic but wrapping up and winning the WTA finals and finishing on the high note of year end world number one certainly would not have ever expected that. Certainly never uh, pegged her as, as a player to have the talent to get to world number one let alone sustain that uh, through portions of the year uh, and just winning on all surfaces. She had a grass court title earlier in the year as well. Uh, I think it's also a, a coin flip
1: between her and Bianca. And if we look at another award that Bianca is also nominated for, uh, and we won't go through all of them because we wouldn't have enough time, but yep. newcomer of the year, is this one not hands down going to Bianca with all that she did? There are some other very talented young women in there, uh, Mukova, Sviatek. Rybikina, Yastremska, and uh, Coco Goff, of course. Uh, Nick, maybe you can chime in from the American perspective, because what Coco Mm. did at the age of 15 was just also absolutely unreal. Do do you think Bianca could be challenged for this one?
2: Yeah, I do. I'm like racking my brain to remember what I voted here. I think I did end up voting for Goff here, and then I chose Bianca as my player of the year because – I wanted Bianca as my newcomer of the year, but from an American perspective, as you guys mentioned, Coco Gauff was—I uh, mean, it was such a huge story—and to come through qualifying at Wimbledon, to beat Venus, to make the fourth round, and then to almost, you know, completely back it up at the U.S. Open, she was far and away the biggest American story at the Open. Um, when you look at the social media numbers, the stuff we were seeing on the U.S. Open live show that I did, uh, her social numbers were beating the big three guys and Serena. I mean, pe- people people know her name, um, Coco Goff, and the fact that she was able to win in Linz her first singles title um, this fall. I- I'm pretty sure I picked her as my newcomer of of the year, and I'll try to save myself with Canadian fans by saying that I did indeed vote for Bianca's player of the year. I think that's right.
1: (laughs) I'm I'm enjoying the insight here just to to see how (laughs) someone goes through the voting process, what comes into their mind and how these decisions get made.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, no, Coco was such a su- such an unbelievable story, and we had like those sentimental moments from 2019 too when uh, she lost in the third round of the U.S. Open with Naomi Osaka, and Osaka shared that stage together after the match, having the post-match interview on court with her. Uh, you know, I was seeing her name trending all over Twitter uh, through portions of Wimbledon, and then again, the U.S. Open, you know, she's completely a new-coming superstar at the age of 15. So, yeah, maybe Player of the Year is more Serve to Bianca and a complete season rather than Coco Gauff, who is, uh, as we said, still so unbelievably young, just 15 years
1: old. Uh, When we look back at some of the great moments of 2019, of course, they're not just on the court. The one you mentioned between Gauff and Naomi Osaka was after their match. What other moments stand out to you, Nick? I mean, you covered a heck of a lot of tennis this, this season. Uh, it seems like each year you find a way to outdo yourself in terms of the number of events <laughs> that you're getting to and the, the roles that you're playing uh, behind the scenes there. What are some uh, sort of maybe off-court moments, tennis moments on the, the women's side that really captured your, your attention this year when you look back?
2: Well, you know, you guys mentioned it, and I just, the Coco Gauff and Naomi Osaka moment at the U.S. Open, just to sort of bleed into mainstream news here, I I thought that was tremendous. Um, You know, I I really enjoyed, um, during Wimbledon, Simona Halif was working with Daniel Dobre, who was a coach that she had sort of when she was up and coming in Romania, and her coaching relationship with Darren Cahill has been, very well publicized they're going to be back together in 2020 but daniel Dobray was just this like kid in a, ca- a candy shop the whole time at wimbledon because he hasn't been on the pro circuit and i just loved seeing a player like Hallop, who's so accomplished reconnect with a, a um coach that she had worked with a long time ago and then they go and win wimbledon and the guy i did an interview with him after and he was just beaming i mean he was so happy Um, you know, and then I I just think that when you look at the top women, I I think that we've got as interesting and dynamic top 20 right now in the women's game as we've had in a long time. Um, I'd certainly like to see Serena win another major. I think it's pretty crazy that she was as competitive as she was at the majors, maybe not the French open, but you know, elsewhere. And she wasn't able to win one of those, the, obviously the Wimbledon and U S open finals. Um, and then I'll be curious to watch players like, um, like Andreescu, like someone like Bardi and even Osaka in a sense, can they continue to back up the kind of, um, you know, great success that they've had, but yeah, we had some fun off court. I mean, when I was with you guys in Toronto, we did the maple syrup taste test with the Canadian (laughs) girls. They killed it and everyone else struggled. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I always just appreciate the players and them being open to having a bit of fun, which is, which is great to see too.
0: And you make a, a great point of the uh, the mix of players we have in the WTA just even within the top 20 and you look at the top 50 and how things kind of broke down throughout the year who made the WTA finals who was surprisingly not there and uh, it brings us to our ne- next question of were there any particular players that maybe you're surprised uh, and rather maybe disappointed by results this season the name at least for me Nick that would stand out is is Sloane Stevens. I thought we would see a lot more from her in 2019.
2: Yeah, no, that's a good one. I mean, Sloan's I think she's just kind of struggled to figure out what drives her. And I know that, you know, she's so talented. I think going back to Kamau Murray before the U.S. Open, um, yeah, you know, I, I think that hopefully she's going to find that kind of tennis again, that won her a grand slam. I mean, she finishes the year ranked 25th, which is kind of crazy to see. Um, I I think for me, honestly, at the beginning of the year, I would have been confident in saying that Serena was going to win one of the four majors. So that was a little bit surprising to me. Um, it was pretty, I thought it was pretty disappointing that you had Von Sheva make the French Open final and then essentially couldn't really play after, um, making the Roland-Garros final because she was injured. She played a couple tournaments on grass and then literally we, we didn't see her again, And she was sort of this, you know, another one of these players that people are really excited about because she just plays such a different brand of tennis. Um, It was a tough year for Kerber; she's ranked twentieth, and so you just look at how high the level is, and that these players have to. And Muguruza too; I mean, she's ranked thirty-fifth now. Um, So yeah, you know, there's there's always something to harp on, but I think the competition is that fierce. And so I I think it'll be a big race in 2020 to see who can kind of reassert themselves and or kind of keep their crowns that they've earned in 2019.
1: I think watching Serena is going to be very, very interesting because she, she outdid herself, in my opinion, when she came back in 2018 and then I figured if she hits the ground running in 2019 with everyone else, else well, surely if she's made two slam finals with so much time off that she's got to take that next step in in the season we just witnessed. And uh, I mean, she's not getting any younger and it's going to be interesting to see if she can stay healthy in the coming season. And uh, and also how many non-slam events is she going to play, which undoubtedly the higher she can get that ranking will will bode, bode well in those slam draws. So I'm certainly interested to see what she does. Um, and in terms of disappointments for me on a personal note in 2019, I was very disappointed to see Dominika Sibilkova decide to retire because always Mm -hmm. one of those players I really loved watching just the fact that she was, I mean, five foot three and she was able to get so much out of that, that frame. And she had been playing well, even in, in recent years. So, uh, I feel like as I get a little bit older and some of the players who I watched and enjoyed before I got into the media and covering the sport as they retire, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm losing a little bit of uh, like my childhood or that, that side <laughs> of me that still mm-hmm. quasi, quietly albeit, watches uh, as, a, as a tennis mm-hmm. fan first and foremost. This
0: just uh, your way of relaying that you are getting older. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Ben. I, okay. yeah, I Sorry. appreciate. Okay. Sorry to summarize
1: it that way. <laughs> That's getting edited out afterwards for sure. Uh,
0: you are listening to uh, Matchpoint Canada. Remember, listeners, you can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. We are the official podcast of Tennis Canada, and you can find us on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network as well. Nick will uh, head over to the men's side, A- and once again, the big three swept the four Grand Slams. This time, it was Novak Djokovic and Raf phil Nadal splitting a pair um first question but between the two who do you think had the best season
2: <laughs> yeah oh my gosh it, it's it's insane and uh, to try to compare them yeah. i mean you know he was down we were down to what the last few matches in london at the o2 and there were all these rumors swirling that Rafa wasn't going to play and how was his abdomen and davis cup and I just you, I feel like you kind of have to give just that sliver of an edge, 51-49, to Rafa. You know, they both win two slams. Um, They both win a couple other Masters 1000s, but Rafa didn't have a a win going into Rome when he played Nole in the Rome final, and um, it just to me the way that Nadal was kind of able to reinvent his season and not at the time but after he pulled out of that Indian Wells semifinal against Federer that didn't come to fruition he went back to Spain and told his camp that he was ready to pull the plug on his season because his knees were so bad and I think it was the left knee in particular but the fact that they were able to come together and, and put together a plan for him to play the clay the way that he did and then that he ramped up for Roman Roland Garros and you know, the U.S. Open win was spectacular. He, he to me, showed more mental fortitude in that fifth set against Medvedev because Rafa wasn't playing the same tennis he was playing in those first two sets as he needed to in the fifth. Um, and so I just, I mean, listen, these guys are gladiators of the game. Um, I got to cover the O2, the ATP Finals a few weeks ago, which I haven't done in a few years, and it was pretty cool to kind of watch them finish that way. But yeah, for me, it would just just by a sliver, it'd be Rafa who had the better year.
1: Yeah, I'd have to echo those those sentiments, and and how Nadal doesn't finish each season in a wheelchair is always <laughs> beyond me. The way that he somehow, late in the season, with all he's been through and the way he's played, it just amazes me year after year. Uh, Novak as well, though, and like you said, 51 to 49 percent, you know, is pretty much a, an accurate description because what Nole done since he won Wimbledon in 2018 and how he's reasserted himself at the pinnacle of the sport is just absolutely incredible as well. And, uh, you know, would not surprise me one bit if he ends up with the most slams out of those three. Um, so the two of them, another epic year of uh, sort of dividing things, carving things up. But we did see some improvements from many other players who started to make inroads at the Masters 1000 level and who also, as we saw with Danil Medvedev making the U.S. Open final, they're getting awfully close, these guys. And uh, wh- what do we think now? I th- feel like we've asked this question for the last, you know, upteen number of years. But is 2020 the year that we finally see one of these newer faces uh, break through at a major, guys?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think it is. Uh, you know, I we were even in London talking about who's going to win the Australian Open. And I just said, uh, I think it's going to be Cisa Pass. And I, I know wow. that that's going out on a limb. And Djokovic is sort of, that's been his Roland Garros to Rafa. You know, that's Novak's backyard is Melbourne Park. But I just feel like what I saw in London at the HV finals is it's almost now like a pack mentality. It felt like for a while that maybe it was just Zverev on his own. And that came after, you know, sort of the Nishikori, Chilich, Raunich era, Dimitrov, where they just couldn't figure it out. And now we've entered into a whole new generation, but the pushing of Zverev and Medvedev and Sisapass and team, you can kind of throw Baratini in there. They all feel and believe that they belong with these guys. And I, I do think Listen, pass might not win the Australian Open. I know that's a bold prediction, but I think that one of those guys, uh, that they're going to get a slam or two or three in 2020. I think that for sure.
0: There you go. Uh, yeah, certainly if you're looking at maybe names to wrestle away one of the four grand slams, uh, the three in mind that I have are either pass team or Medvedev. And I'm going to I'm not going to name the Grand Slam, but my bold prediction for 2020 is Dominic Team wins the Grand Slam. And I think he actually has the ability to do it on a hard court. What I saw from him at the ATP finals and he didn't win the ATP finals, uh, but the Tennessee produced beating Federer and Djokovic uh, in the round-robin stages uh, was just absolutely incredible. Uh, he's one of the hardest hitters on the tour, and I, and I think now that maybe tactically he's improved his game, uh, maybe he could be the first to, to wrestle that French Open away from Rafa uh, for the first time in a while.
1: And it seems to me, even if this doesn't somehow happen in, in 2020, these are the guys, the ones that you and, and Nick both just mentioned, these are the guys that are going to do it at some point because unlike that middle sort of generation, Nick, that you, you mentioned, and these guys are young enough that they are going to see Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic retire. And they seem clearly intent on uh, taking over that, that mantle or being the first ones to take a crack at it
2: when that does finally happen. Maybe. Maybe retire. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree with you. Um, I also think I'll be really interested to see you know Federer just did that South American tour with um, Alex Ferrov and Zverev's actually now being represented by Roger's agency. And I think that's going to be – I'll be curious to see. Zverev had a lot of issues outside of tennis that impacted his tennis this year, and I will be interested to see how the Federer approach kind of impacts Zverev. And you look at these guys, like, I think for team it was huge that he brought on Nicholas Massu this year. Um, I think that he just gave him that that uh, infusion of energy, and Zverev hasn't really had that. I mean, he worked with Lendl, he worked with Ferrero, but he's back with Dad. And I wonder if I wonder if Federer and and Koch can... I don't know if he needs someone else or a different voice, but all of these guys are doing every little thing to try to get better, Medvedev included. And I think that Zverev, you know, doesn't want to feel like he falls behind in that race either.
1: Yeah. I sure look good at the uh, Laver Cup when he was being coached simultaneously by (laughs) Federer and Nadal. If he could only have them in his corner all the time, I guess.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Well, you you touched on Roger Federer, and and I will just ask this question and maybe phrase it in a a certain way, which (laughs) might produce a certain answer. Are Are we foolish to think he can't still contend for Grand Slams?
2: Um, yeah, I I think so. I think you're foolish to think that. I mean, he, he, it's tough with Federer, right? I I mean, uh, the tendency since 2012 has been that he's over the hill, and he is year after year proven that wrong. So I just really hesitate entering into another tennis season saying that, you know, Federer can't win a slam. He can. Will he? I think it's really tough. I mean, I think that Wimbledon this year is going to stick with him and a lot of his fans for a long time. But, you know, he's still playing top, top top-level tennis. I think now it really is about tournament management. Like, what events does he play? And then once he gets into an event, he can't afford to go four or five sets in two or three matches before he gets to, say, like, the semis at the Australian Open. He, He just can't. Um, but no, I I mean, I don't know. Maybe you guys disagree. I I certainly still feel like he is, yeah, he didn't win any slams this year, but, you know, he makes the Wimbledon final, the French Open semi. Um, He's still part of the conversation. He makes the ATP finals, um, makes the semis there. I just, I feel like he is very much still uh, contending for slams. I don't think he would be playing, if he didn't think he could win a slam and i think that he is very driven to win an olympic golden singles too
0: yeah and i, I was surprised actually at his uh, commitment recently he said about playing in 2021 why not uh so you know <laughs> maybe people had the olympic year circled as the last final uh year for Roger Federer in this career kind of going out in you know in the limelight at the olympics giving himself one more shot there it sounds like if the body holds up and it has done very well to hold up that he would want to play in 2021 and as you pointed out 2019 was a good season uh he was 2 i mean he had two points to win wimbledon uh french open semifinals after missing clay that was incredible uh, to me unbelievable result and he won four titles including uh miami uh, and completely dominated his hometown tournament which he always seems to do well he could win
1: that hometown tournament for the next 10 years till he's like 50 i think (laughs) in basel and and just beat jimmy (laughs) connors on that one tournament alone if he entered it but I think Nick you're also right that he's going to stay in it as long as he feels he can still win slams and that Olympics this coming year is going to be awfully interesting too because although he does have the doubles gold from a few years back with Stan Wawrinka it's got to be on some level certainly something that uh, that he wants to obtain it's one of the few things he hasn't captured in his illustrious career Mm -hmm. is that singles gold uh, medal as well If we shift over uh, to wrap things up with you, Nick, here to the Canadian contingency, because you have put out some nice tweets lately that we had nothing to do with, by the way, but we appreciate (laughs) seeing the the positivity directed towards us up here in in the north. Uh, What a historic season. We obviously talked about Bianca already, but on the men's side, Denis Shapovalov winning his maiden ATP title in Stockholm, Felix Ogialisim, who made three ATP finals this year, who out of uh, those guys had the, the the best season amongst the Canadian men, or is it a uh, fifty one to forty nine type split like we talked about with Novak and Rafa?
2: Well, yeah, I mean that's tough. I feel, I feel like that might apply here too. No, I, I just felt like it was so great to watch Felix sort of have the early part of the year that he did, and then I I think that it caught up with him a little bit in the second half of the season. Um, I think there was some injury troubles and and some confidence issues and those are just growing pains and I think we've seen Shapovalov go through that in the last couple years and he's kind of figuring it out more and more of what makes him comfortable and what makes him tick and I just I think that Dennis had a little stronger finish on the end part of his season and then I I I think I'm right in saying that he was the more impactful player along with Bashik Postasil. Um, in that incredible Davis Cup um, run for the Canadian men, I, I that was I, I was in Madrid. I just thought it was so inspiring to watch, um, and and I think I think that with the team that's around Felix, that he's gonna they're going to figure out. Um, you know, what really works in 2020. But to me, overall body of work, I mean, I know that OJ Alias team had a little flashier season, but I felt like because Shapovalov finished a little stronger, I felt like, yeah, he would have had the stronger season.
0: I'm probably right there with you. Uh, Nick, before we uh, let you go, uh, I-, I know ATP players and WTA players spend time crafting out their schedule for next season. Uh, where can some tennis fans maybe expect to see you uh, come 2020? Uh, obviously, we're in the off season now, but uh, w- what are your plans going forward for next year?
2: Yeah, I'm going to be in Brisbane, uh, mostly covering, I'll cover a little ATP Cup, but my focus will be on the women. They have an incredible field for the WTA event, and then uh, I will be at the Australian Open um, doing what's called the World Feed Commentating, so any stream that you pick up, or I'm guessing it's on Canadian TV, you might mm-hmm. hear my voice. I don't do not do the marquee matches, I, I'm still a, a young buck in the commentary <laughs> world, but um, yeah, I'm looking forward to trading my. It's snowing right now in New York. I'm looking forward to trading that in for some uh, Australian summer.
1: We're gonna see you up here in Canada at some point, maybe in Montreal for the uh, Cooper Rogers uh, next summer.
2: I don't know. I mean, I have my own Olympic aspirations, so uh, stay tuned. <laughs> oh, you're gonna
1: pull, you're gonna pull like a Federer and and fail to show up in Canada? Is that what you're uh, saying? <laughs>
2: uh Um, no comment (laughs) uh, well we
1: better see you back in 2021 if that's the case nick
2: thanks guys yeah yeah no i hope so too thanks for having me
1: thanks for joining us take care and uh, happy holidays buddy
2: yeah cheers you too
1: that was
0: uh nick mccarvel and you can find him on twitter at nick mccarvel m-c-c-a-r-v-e-l uh sports presenter commentator writer Host. He does Uh, everything. Yeah, a little bit of everything. And you know Uh, what
1: I like is that Nick does all of his many roles with such positivity. I've never seen like a picture where he's not smiling. I've never heard him with a negative tone or seen him have a bad day. Um, I don't know what he has for breakfast, but uh, maybe I should alter (laughs) my, my diet to include whatever it is because he's just one of those... Positive faces in the sport.
0: Yeah, a little bit of a different mindset than a, a Mike Babcock. I'm throwing a fan <laughs> on the flames here in Toronto as it's one of our key storylines. Uh, but, uh, yeah, great to, to get his perspective. Uh, I guess we can probably spend about five minutes more or so just on the men's side. and and get your thoughts on on a couple of the awards that we didn't fully go through, but uh, most improved player of the year. Uh, and, and we had Danil Medvedev, Felix Oshay Aliassim, who we've discussed, Matteo Berrettini, Stefano Pass, And I'm thinking Danil would have to be the shoe-in here,
1: given the unbelievable summer he had. Yeah, I mean, he's asserted himself into the upper echelon of the sport. He's ranked number five right now, 23 years old. He had a 59-21 and 21 record and and just caught fire in the summertime. And, and from there on end, really, uh, burned out a little at the end of the year. But I think we can forgive him that, given the number of matches that uh, the guy played. So he would get my vote for most improved. Um, when you look at Felix Ogiali-Asim, who we'll talk about in a moment for another award that I think he's basically, uh, you know, a shoe in for, but I think for MIP, it was a little odd for me to see Felix there perhaps, because the year before he wasn't even really playing that many pro or ATP events in a sense. Yeah. So has he been around long enough to really be considered most improved? I mean, he's so young that obviously he's going to be making, you know, big leaps at this age. But, um, yeah, Daniel Medvedev, I think, most improved uh, for sure. And some Player of the Year honors down the road if he keeps playing this, this way.
0: Yeah, certainly. And uh, Newcomer of the Year, it, it's very one-sided when you run down the names. Uh, obviously, Felix is there. And then you have Mio Merkikmanovic. He had a nice season. Karendan Mute, Alexei Popperin, uh, Kasper Rude. Yannick Sinner had an awesome end to his 2019 season. Uh Mikhail Emer, uh, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, really challenging me with the names okay, here. Okay, this one is not
1: even close, no, right? Like just handed to Felix. It's very very one-sided. Why why did they even nominate all these guys just to <laughs> uh, get, you know, disappointed in the
0: end ultimately? I, yeah, I know. Well, you know, accept your nomination with grace. Uh, it's nice to be nominated. <laughs> I will just bring up the sportsmanship award because this is another one of these Twitter tennis community talking points. Roger Federer now maybe he doesn't even care, but he completely owns the Stefan Edberg Sportsmanship Award. I think you
1: were saying thirteen times he's 13 won it. Thirteen times. How is this award even still named after Stefan Edberg? <laughs> I mean, it should have been renamed after Roger long ago. Yeah. But But there are a lot of people who criticize this one, and it it kind of brings out a lot of unsportsmanlike comments in people on True. social media. And yet, it's uh, it's it's hard to knock if brought up in an intelligent and and you know kind kind of way. How does he continue to take this one when there's plenty of other wonderful options out there as well? Uh, I mean, the last 15 years, it's been Federer 13 times, Nadal twice, including last year, 2018. But there's got to be, and there are certainly other players who are so deserving of being recognized for their sportsmanlike behavior. One guy I'm surprised who's never won it before is Juan Martin Del Potro. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, he missed, unfortunately, huge chunks of some seasons, which Mm. perhaps eliminated him from contention. But uh, I can see why there are people who are a little bit, uh, you know, perturbed with Federer walking away with this so many times. Uh, Could there be things behind the scenes that come into play in terms of how this one is decided? Might it be that we want Roger to feel really good and happy and stick around (laughs) for a long time due to his marketing abilities? Uh, I can't say, obviously, definitively, but, um, hey, he's a great guy and and he's, he's deserved, you know. Uh, the the accolades and it's not his fault that he's won this award so many times. You can't fault him, but I do think that uh, hey, let's let's look outside of that little bubble as well and, and look at some other great uh, sportsmen uh, players on these. Yeah, future.
0: he's been treated uh, as a media darling for you know the better part of o- over a decade, really. Uh, I will acknowledge a couple other names here that did get nominated: Diego Schwartzman and Dominic Team. And I was saying before we recorded, let's give Diego Schwartzman this award. Why not? Uh, he's such a nice guy, very respectful, uh, on and off the court. I've only heard great things about him. Uh, you know, he he seems great with kids and, and fans and interactive change it up.
1: What are are the odds Federer Nadal
0: doesn't take this? I'll I'll be stunned if Diego Schwartzman is your sportsman of the year. Uh, Granted, you know, I I don't know how much value Roger Federer is placing in winning the sportsmanship award. Uh, But I, I was just pointing out he had a couple of moments this season where he was getting a little lippy with chair umpires. Um... It's been talked about why does Novak Djokovic never have a shot at this award, and my short answer is this. He has to stop smashing rackets. That's... So that,
1: that's it. Uh, you can't smash rackets. Well, consider...
0: I, I look at the four here, and I, Nadal's never smashed a racket in his career. Federer kind of threw tantrums maybe 15 years ago, uh, but not anymore. Certainly have never seen that behavior from Diego or Dominic.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, it's got to be bigger than just that. I can handle a few smashed rackets well, if there's a, a bigger good being done, which I think Novak definitely doesn't get recognized for enough, but he's so kind when he goes to the net, always positive yes, in terms of what he has to say about his opponents when he's when he's beaten uh and as for rogers crankiness i mean look i've got one set of twins at home and i got a lot of cranky days okay i don't throw rackets around the house but if i had two sets of twins i don't know if i could do you know the kind of job that he does so that's fair uh, kudos to him for that uh any other awards we want to look at here before we uh Uh,
0: yeah let's just mention uh the comeback player of the year and we have four options and all good options uh andre rublev Joe Wilfried Tsonga, Stan Favrenka, and the player to me who's going to win this award, Andy Murray. Yeah,
1: you have to. You have to for what he went through. He thought his career was over. Is there any greater comeback than someone coming back from what they felt was almost certain retirement? Yeah. And then for him to come back and, you know, dip the toe in the water with doubles, still no guarantees, and slowly start putting it together in singles and and having the success that he ultimately had to uh, finish off the season— it's got to go to Andy Murray. And and then just on top of that, I mean, maybe he should be nominated or, or should have won a, a sportsmanship award too over the years because no he's one of the great... He's not afraid to, to mix it up and voice his opinion, but his opinion usually is on the right side, meaning he's standing up for people that are marginalized or disrespected and what a great champion for the sport. So I think that... Comeback award is a, is a lock for him. And, uh, again, we all thought that we had seen the last of them in singles. And, and now we're getting excited to see if he can throw himself back into contention in 2020.
0: Yeah, it's uh it's unbelievable. I'm not really sure where to place the ceiling on, on Andy Murray and his chances for a big season in 2020. Uh, I know there is a, a documentary out now, I believe resurfacing, uh, I believe resurfacing. It's okay. Uh, so uh, obviously detailing him going through the hip surgeries and, and getting his way back on court, but, uh, he he seems like he's in a much better place mentally physically now uh than we could have imagined uh even you know even 8 months ago uh where we we saw him well i guess it would, would have been 10 um, months almost ago yeah at the Australian Open, basically thinking we were witnessing this three-time Grand Slam champion retire in front of our eyes. So uh, has to be the comeback player of the year, and that is not taking away from uh, Sanga, Rublev, or Wawrinka. Sanga finishing in the top 30 is awesome as he's turning 35 next season. I think that's about a wrap for uh, really... For the year. 2019. For Matchpoint
1: Canada. For (laughs) our first season as Matchpoint Canada. Yeah. Um, Any highlights? Well, Well, just working with you every week, Ben, is just such a a privilege, you know what I mean? And (laughs) and aside from that, you know, despite your occasional ribbings about the Montreal Canadiens, who I don't want to talk about at the moment. That's fair. um, But uh, what what a great season, what a step forward when I think of when I joined you in 2018 to what we've accomplished this year together between becoming the official podcast of Tennis Canada and how positive an experience that's been working with the people behind the scenes there like Valerie Tetrio, Oliver Wheeler, Jeff Donaldson, uh, you know, so many others as well. And then uh, getting further sort of exposure by uh, joining up with the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, which has been more recent and uh, putting us into some uh, more American sort of uh, homes as well, I guess. And uh, it's just been very positive. The feedback's been great. Loving having so many new listeners. And then as well, you know, we should say to our sort of loyal base, I guess, who've been there all the way through and continue to uh, give us supportive comments and interact with us on Twitter, uh, email when we see them in person as well at times. It's been, to me, that's been the real highlight is uh, sort of, getting to know uh, other tennis fanatics like us.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's always special uh, week to week seeing uh, certain fan interaction and those familiar faces and names on Twitter and within the tennis community sort of uh, rooting us on and knowing they've listened to the podcast, uh, knowing they've liked some input. Disagreeing is fun too, Uh, you know some debate. Bring on the disagreements. Oh yeah. I, I am going to get roasted this week because uh, didn't I pick Ash Barty over Bianca for player of the year? Don't worry. It probably won't happen. <laughs> um, but uh, to wrap and, and we mentioned uh, throughout the week that we do have one final ball to give away. We briefly talked about her on this podcast. Uh, I know it's going to be a of, big surprise. Uh, it is going to be a big surprise. No, a lot of people were picking Bianca Andreescu as the sign ball. It is actually uh multiple grand slam champion Garbina Muguruza has a signed ball and a former number one fantastic player. She's dipped down to 35 this year, but I I could certainly foresee a comeback for her. So if you want a chance to win a signed ball from Garbina Muguruza, uh, Retweet the podcast. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do that, you will be eligible. And uh, retweet share uh, from at MatchpointCan on Twitter. And you can interact with us on Instagram as well at MatchpointCanada.
1: And we hope to have many more giveaways and fun prizes and interactions in, in 2020. We're going to take a little bit of a break, recharge. You'll hit the gym. I'm not going to, but recharge. <laughs> and uh, and come back stronger for our, our preview episode for uh, the 2020 season. And uh, by then, boy, I'm always so excited in January because you're just a few weeks away from the first major of the year already. And uh, looking forward to doing this with you uh, again next year, man. Yeah, I can't
0: wait. Uh, Had a blast. And uh, thanks all for listening. We will talk to you next time.